listening to the Pastor Chat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dayton. Welcome. This is the Pastor Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Forrest Jones. And I am Zach Brown. And I am Ben Hayes. And we are on episode 14. Wow. Wow, It seems kind of crazy. So... If you're wondering how long all of this COVIDness has been going on, we started this in the middle of that. So, yeah, and I would just recommend to any of our listeners who want to help us celebrate episode 15 that we're open to uh, some, uh, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts. I feel like it's a big milestone. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, actually, it is kind. Of, I mean, it is crazy how fast. I like, look up and like, wow, we've got 14 episodes. This is. Uh, I hope everybody's enjoying this. We, you know, we, we don't have a ton of listeners, but we do have kind of that loyal few every week. Um, but we enjoy doing the show. I really, it's fun to get together and talk about these things. And, uh, you know, y'all don't get to see all the outtakes of where they're laughing at me trying to <laughs> intro the show every week. That might be our biggest challenge is me just saying the few lines every week while they laugh and point at me. So we only do that because we love you, Forrest. <laughs> There is a there is a lesson there, yeah. All right, brother Ben, you preached on Malachi four, which, if I remember correctly, we started backwards. So yeah, I you know I I don't like to do things the normal way most of the time. <laughs> so when I'm introducing a book study, I like to go to the last chapter. Um, of course, I I may have done that a time or two when I was reading mysteries and <laughs> that that's um, funny. That's the way my mom yeah read but I you know I referenced her reading addiction last year last week but every time i would laugh she would get a book out she would go to the end and read the last like couple chapters and i was like why are you doing that she's like well because if the ending's terrible i don't want to waste time reading the whole book (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) but in reality the reason i started at the end was because as we're finishing up our study of spiritual warfare uh i was preaching on uh first kings 1837 where uh, Elijah is praying this this really profound prayer, and, and I don't know why it spoke to my heart so deeply, but but it really did. But he, he prayed that the people would know that that God was truly the Lord God, and that they would know that He had turned their hearts back to Him. And, and as I was thinking about that, you know, one of the things that came to mind is that that we really have a heart problem as as human beings. And, and I fear, as the, the church of the 21st century, we have a heart problem. You know, the Bible tells us that our hearts are wicked, that they'll deceive us. Um, no matter how good we are, no matter, matter how much thought we put into it, there are times when, when our heart just uh, lies to us and uh, we find ourselves doing things we shouldn't do or not doing the things that we, we ought to do. And uh, that led me to Malachi chapter 4 at the very end of the Old Testament where God uh, says that he will be sending Elijah back to uh, his people to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And what he's talking about there is is a healing that is not only uh, spiritual, but is emotional and physical as you you look at the whole passage in context. And as you study this wonderful little prophecy, what, what you find is, that God truly is, is is expressing his love for his people, but he's also expressing his his love for the world. 
And I don't want to get caught up in this uh, comparison and, and say, well, he's, he's talking to the people of Israel. And so the people of Israel is is now the United States of America because that is not true. Uh, or the people of God is not the United States of America. Um, and, and some would say, well, the church is the chosen people of God in place of Israel. Well, we've got to be careful about that because Paul warns us that, that if we become arrogant, that just as God spliced us into the tree, he can splice us out of the tree. And so we've got a heart problem that, that we need to take care of. And uh, so I, I think that our hope is that God will send one like Elijah who will turn our hearts back to himself. But as, as we looked at Malachi chapter 4, we were talking about the hope that is coming. And, and, and here's the thing. I look at our world today, and, and I see the shape that we're in, and I'm very concerned. I'm, I'm concerned for my children, for my grandchildren. I'm concerned for the future generations. Uh, I can tell you right now that unless something drastic happens, the generations that are following my generation are going to have a tough time uh, just surviving, just making ends meet. Um, because with the the burgeoning debt of our nation, with all of that's going on, with the social strife and turmoil, with uh, the cancel culture we're living in, with the uh, negative attitudes towards the church of our day, we're going to find ourselves in a a, a terrible mess of of uh, animosity and uh, hatred and anger. Um, and and so as we look at that, we're going to be facing some tough times ahead. I, I believe that with all of my heart. And I'm just going to uh, make another prediction like I did uh, on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to tell you, when, when the election rolls around this year in November, we're going to see uh, some social turmoil like we've never experienced in this country before. I, I honestly believe that. So what is the what is the message of Malachi? It's it's a message of judgment, but it's also a message of hope. And that's that's what I wanted to focus on. That's what I'll be focusing on over the next several weeks. But you can't have hope unless there is judgment. And so as you just break down the the the, the chapter four, what you see, it's a, it's a pretty good outline all to itself. He, he talks about judgment is coming, and, and that judgment is the great and terrible day of the Lord that was prophesied by Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. All of the prophets spoke about it. It was a time when God's wrath would rain down upon the world. That hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen at some point in the future. And uh, when judgment comes, everybody's going to get what uh, what is coming to them. The righteous will be judged uh, and, and, and blessed, and the wicked will be judged and, and cursed. Uh, and then he, he moves on from, from judgment to talk about the son of righteousness. And he, he writes this S-U-N of righteousness. Uh, and, and as you read the Old Testament, you see several references to this, uh, this, this truth that the day star is coming, the son of righteousness is coming. And it's an obvious pointing towards the Messiah who we believe is, is Jesus Christ. And so I said, judgment is coming, but Jesus is on the way. And he is. He came 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And the Bible says he's coming back again. This time when he comes back, he'll come in uh, uh, to, to call his church out of here. He'll come to uh, bring judgment and to start the judgment uh, on the world. But uh, those who fear God's name are going to find healing uh, and it, it literally says, find healing through his wings. And uh, God is going to allow the, the healing to come to our hearts, to our minds, to our families, for those who fear him. 
when that happens, the next phase of that is uh, joy will fill our hearts. And this is a, a fun part of the verse because he, he says that it's going to be like calf, uh, stall-fed calves. And uh, it's just amazing when you think about that illustration. Uh, you know, a stall-fed calf is fat and happy, and, and that's the way it's going to be basically for, for believers. But also, when you look at the Hebrew of that, it, it literally states that it'll be like calves who are let loose from the stall. And if you know what happens, they jump and they run, and it's just an exciting thing to watch. And that's the kind of joy that's going to fill the hearts of, of God's people when the healing comes that, that he speaks of. And then uh, finally, uh, the, the last part of the, the chapter, he talks about justice. Justice will be served. And, and that justice will, will be a matter of the wicked being uh, burned up. That's what he says. They'll be turned to ashes. And the, the righteous, he says, will trample them under their feet. And one of the things I wanted to point out in that is it's so easy for us to see vindictiveness in there. And understand when God heals our hearts, the vindictiveness is not going to be there. This is not a picture of vindictiveness. I, I don't believe that. I believe it's a picture of vindication where those of us who are, are followers of God who will be beaten down, who will be ridiculed, who will be mocked, who will suffer at the hands of our enemies, just like the, the psalmist talks about, we will be vindicated, and uh, all of those things won't matter anymore when God heals our hearts. And so that's the promise, the message of hope that, that's coming for the world, for, for believers, and the message of judgment that's coming for the world. So that's, that's basically it. All right, and so you you're, you had mentioned the other day, so this is going to be a multi-week series that we're going to be we're kind of walking through Malachi. Yeah, we're going to go back to the first uh, chapter this coming Sunday. So okay. <laughs> we'll start at the beginning. We start at okay. the end, then we'll go back to the beginning. All right. So now that we know the ending's good, we'll, That's right. we'll jump back to the beginning using the Linda Jones book reading method. Um, <laughs> all right. So this, honestly— it is kind of one of those messages that it, it, I felt kind of torn. Mm. You know, in some ways, it didn't seem like a lot of good news. Yeah. You know, and there was kind of a heavy note to it. And, um, you know, you talk about the idea that things aren't looking real promising. Yeah. But then the flip side is we're fat, happy cows. Yep. Um, so some of us look more like that than the others. So let's let's talk a little bit, and and I know we've kind of touched on this in the past. I don't want us to get too bogged down on it, but let's hit a little bit on the kind of the not so good, uh, and then spend some time in in discussing um, our cowness uh, at the end. So um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I, you're, we, we call that uh, the theological term for that is calf likeness, <laughs> calf likeness. <laughs> Well, see, Zach, have you had that in your seminary studies yet? Not yet. Okay, so in his one day of seminarying, <laughs> as a seminarian, he has not learned that yet. And I have not either in my seemingly years of study, um, which if anybody wants to know, uh, Zach will be graduating in uh, 2035. Uh, we're very excited <laughs> to announce. So I will be beating him by about six months, I think, and, 2034 and a half. Um, anyways. All right. So talking about just kind of um, the negative aspect, uh, and that's probably not even the right way to say it, but just 
it is true. I mean, I think you're right that things don't look promising. And no matter how you look at it, we're not in uh, great times here. Well, keep keep in mind that it's always been this way for, for God's people, um, for, for Israel, for the church. It's never been about a life of ease. We, we've become spoiled in America. Uh, the church around the world does not have it as anywhere as good as what we have it. Um, if, if you look at places even where there's not persecution and oppression, uh, life is not all that easy for, for Christians. Uh, when you come to the places where there is persecution, it's, it's just downright hard. And we have been spoiled by that. And, and truthfully, I think that what is coming is we would call it a purging or a purifying. And we'll see some of that as we, we look at uh, this prophecy here, because the way that you purify gold is with fire, and it's always uh, hot. It's always painful, but that's the, the the picture here. When you're talking about purification, it comes through the fires. Um, how do we get patience? It's through tribulation. How do we become perfected? It is through going through the suffering. That's what the the Bible teaches. And we, in our country, we've not had that. We, we've not experienced that. But I believe it's coming because it is gripping the rest of the world and it's moving in, in our direction. Now, is that a message of gloom and doom? Do we throw our hands up in despair? No, because we have the promise that in the midst of all of that, Jesus is right there with us, just like he was in the fires with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like he was in the lion's den with Daniel. He is right there with us. He is walking with us through that. So we have faith and we have hope that he's going to see us through. Does that mean it's going to be easy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, because what happens in this country, no matter whether it's good or bad, will affect believers in this country. Yeah, just as you were speaking, it the analogy popped into my mind. Uh, I saw the news yesterday where there's another big wildfire out in California, and that's you know become kind of a yearly thing now, where it seems like there's a bigger one and worse, and towns burning down, and that's horrific. But he listened to the experts talk about that kind of wildland, you know, I'm trying to avoid saying the words forest fire. There's a guy named Forrest. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he listened to the experts. They say, actually, these fires are a healthy part of the woods. I mean, th- that yeah. in nature, there's going to be lightning strikes and there's going to be fires that kind of rage through. And that's actually a good, healthy thing for the life of the 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 woods because it burns out the undergrowth and makes it, you know, where the trees are healthier. The problem is we have built into these areas so much that, you know, to me, the analogy popped up of the church and the idea that we have lived in comfort for so long that when fire comes, we seem shocked and we're, we're not used to it. And there's going to be times that, that we're going to deal with persecution and we're going to deal with, um, kind of that refining yeah. um, in the same way that right now we're we're trying everything possible to avoid these fires and to stop them from happening when they've been happening for thousands of years. The same way, I mean, when Jesus was was walking with his disciples, he tells them, like, listen, there's going to be persecution. You're going to be persecuted for being my followers. I mean, that's before he was even put on the cross. He's going in and tell them, like, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be persecution. All of this stuff is coming. Um and we, 
in the American church, especially have kind of lived like, well, that happened, but it's not going to happen again. And, and we've been lulled into that sense of complacency. Well, and, and even worse for us, what, what, what hurts so badly as you look at this is that the reason things have declined the way they have in, in the United States of America, the reason that we are seeing uh, crime on the increase, the reason we're seeing these, these, these protests go unbelievably crazy, the reason we're seeing uh, police officers uh, killed, the reason we're seeing all of these things happening is because we, as the church in America, have become complacent we have not gone out and and been the salt and the light that we should have been to change the hearts and lives of the people around us. We've not taken part in the election processes to make sure that the right people got into the positions of power so that they could guide our, our, our country in the way that they should go. So when you look at it as, as the body of Christ, what's happening in our world, what's happening in our country is literally our fault. And we've, we're going to have to be purged from within. We're going to have to be purified within. Our hearts are going to have to be changed and turned back to God before we will ever have an impact on our culture again. And that's where the, the, the great spiritual awakenings uh, make such inroads. When, when God's people get right, they start serving and doing what they're supposed to do, and then lost people get saved. Spiritual awakening is not for lost people. It's for the believers, who get right with God and then do the work of the church. And that's where we're headed. Yeah, you talk about the the day of judgment that's coming, this the the great and terrible day of the Lord. Um, and, and that's what, another one of those things that I think can be terrifying and joyous all at the same time. You know, that the idea that God is going to come and he's going to judge the world. Um, and as believers, that brings us joy, not because it, well, I guess it should, it, it, we don't look at our neighbors and say, Oh, uh-huh, there it is. God's going to judge you one day. As much as it is just to say like, that means that Christ has come back mm-hmm. and we are going to be with him. Um, you know, if we truly understood what it would look like for people to be under the judgment of a holy God that should not bring us any joy to see our neighbors and think that. Um, but that is true. I mean, it's going to happen. Um, well, you know, I, I think I mentioned this several weeks ago in, in the podcast, but back in 1987, there was a guy who wrote a little book called 87 reasons. The rapture would take place in 1987. And then uh, when it didn't happen, he next year he wrote a book, 88 reasons why the rapture would happen in 1988. I mean, this, this is, not me making a joke. This is truth. Uh, but when those books came out, there were many people in the church who were terrified. And, and they shouldn't have been, because if you're a, a believer, then if the rapture happens, you're gone. You're going with, with Jesus. There's nothing to be scared of. The same is true with judgment, the thought of judgment coming. The judgment is coming upon the wicked. Now, I got to tell you, I think there are a lot of people who think that they're in the believer category who are going to be surprised because that's what Jesus says is going to happen. But as a believer, someone who is in Christ Jesus, it's not a re- there's not a reason to be afraid. Yeah. And I think one of the, the reasons why um, 
this topic can be so hard to talk about is because there's so much, I don't know, like pre-existing misinformation about topics like this. Like when we look at broad spectrum of popular Christianity, a lot of times we'll see kind of two different camps on the idea of like end times and judgment and things like that. And it's either people have figured out that they're really scary and they don't want to talk about the judgment that's coming or they'll realize that judgment and in, in, in a sense, for lack of a better word, can almost kind of be a, a sexy topic that you can get people to, to perk up, to listen to what you're saying. And you can, you know, you'll either get into this, this category where you're so afraid to talk about it because it's such a scary thing to think about that you never mention this idea that judgment is coming. You get into this, you know, happy, feel good kind of Christianity or on the opposite end of that, you have this kind of hellfire and brimstone, turn or burn kind of theology where if we can just scare people enough that eternity is going to happen, then we can convince them to become a Christian. But but, but you mentioned like, like a good middle ground of this is understanding that in order for us to have the, the glory that God has promised us, in order for, for justice to be served, we do have to have both of these things happening. Like mm. we are promised all of these things, but like you said, it, it comes through this, this fire, through this, this righteous judgment that God bestows upon us. And, and, but I feel like it's just, it's one of those things that, like I said, it's, it's, it's hard to find a, a middle ground there of, cause it, it is scary to think about the fact that like, you know, none of us are promised tomorrow. Like, yeah. like that's a scary thought, but at the same time, how do we and, and maybe this is like us as as pastors, and you can give maybe some of us young guys some experience or some advice on how to do this in our ministries, but also for people listening in, as we look at like a life of discipleship and how we share the gospel with people and things like in a in a real and true way, how do, how do we navigate some of that minefield of not wanting to necessarily preach it in a way that scares people into salvation, but also in a way that teaches the truths that that is something that we need to be mindful of. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Zach. And uh, one of the things that that I learned early on is that there are too many preachers out there who preach messages of judgment with a smile on their face, you know, and, and that should never happen. When, when we're preaching about judgment, our hearts should be breaking for the people. Uh, when we're t- preaching about heaven, yeah, we ought to smile, we ought to laugh, we ought to rejoice. Uh, but when when you're talking about the the serious nature of of God's wrath coming upon the earth, our hearts should be broken for our people. And you know, one of the things that that you don't see Jesus doing, he never tries to scare people into heaven, but he doesn't pull any punches. He, he talks about hell. In fact, he talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. But he he doesn't try to push people into making a decision. He lays it out for them, and he says, "Here it is." You know, you can choose your path, but this is what's going to happen. And that's the way we've got to present it. Paul, when, when he's talking about the, the, the end times, he, he, he doesn't try to scare people. He says, this is what awaits us. He says, now, listen, I've been there. I've, I've been in heaven. I, I was called up there. And uh, he says, I've seen it. I know what awaits us. And, and boy, you ought to be ready for that. But he doesn't try to, to manipulate people into making those kinds of decisions. And so that's the way we've got to present it. We've just got to lay out the truth there. And and here's the thing. Right now, today, we're supposed to be living our lives as if Jesus could return in an hour. 
I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. That, that's the whole purpose of the teachings on, on Christ's return. But we also ought to be living our lives as if he's not going to come for a thousand years. In other words, we don't go and sell everything that we have, move to a mountaintop with our hands lifted up, expecting Jesus to come in an hour. What we do is we lift our hands and pray, say, man, I hope you come in an hour. But what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to get to work and I'm going to reach people with by loving them and sharing the gospel with them and proclaiming the message of truth until that time comes. And I don't know a preacher in the world who is who is worthy of the title of preacher who doesn't hope that when Jesus returns, he's going to be in the middle of a message proclaiming that the truth of God's word or witnessing to a lost person, because that's our heart. Yeah, I know you mentioned Sunday, the idea that this is not something that we're the first time in history that we're like, oh man, any minute Christ can come back. Because the early Christians, I mean, in the Bible itself, you see early Christians believing at any moment he's going to return and uh, that judgment is going to happen. I don't think it's an accident that God makes it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that um, that these early Christians were misled or that were misreading the Bible or anything like that. I think God knows that we need that sense of urgency. And so that's why he didn't, you know, that's why the idea of this book of, you know, are, are all these guys who claim to know, oh, I've looked at it and my fortune cookie says the world's coming to an end or, or mm-hmm. you know, I remember Y2K. All right. So Zach, in, in 19... I remember okay. Y2K. Okay. I'm not so, that young. Okay. Mind well, you, I was, I was six, but I... I you've I heard about it. Not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you remember hearing about somebody talk about it. Yeah. Okay. But I always thought, like, the whole Y2K thing was so absurd because, like, yeah, it was a big deal to us. We're changing, you know, it's a change of, you know, centuries and everything. But when you look at history, like, why is this one so much more special than all the rest of them that God has seen come and go? Like, it's kind of the arrogance of, oh, no, it's a big deal to us, so it must be a big deal to God. But I think there's a reason God doesn't tell us. You know, he could have, in his word, said, in 4,537 days, I'm, I shall return. But the problem is, um, <laughs> I'll speak for myself here, I'm a procrastinator. Yeah. Right? So uh, I, I was telling Zach just the other day, uh, we, we were talking about seminary and the things that they have. And I said, oh, yeah, seminary's great. They've got this writing program where you can write your papers, send them to them. They'll edit, like they'll, they'll mark off what you'd get points taken off for, and then they'll send it back to you. You can make all those changes and make a hundred on your paper. I've never used it because you got to write the paper early enough to send it in. (laughs) But if we're honest, that's what would happen. We would say like, well, we got a million days. I mean, it's the same way with like getting in shape. I've signed up for like five K's and stuff before and be like, I still got a couple months to get in shape for that race. I still got, and, and what happens is it rolls around and you're like, I am not nearly good enough shape to be doing this, you know. Yeah. Next time I'll do better, which is what we would do. We yeah. would just put it off and say, well, as long as we just kind of maintain that next generation, they'll be the ones that are going to reach everybody for Christ. I think it's important that we have that sense of urgency of feeling like mm-hmm. at any moment Christ could return. And like you said, we should be preaching sermons believing that at any moment Christ is going to, you know, return and we're going to face that judgment. Um, 
Well, we're, let, we're not unique in that. Let me let me jump in here for a minute because this is one of the problems with the people in Malachi's day. They're they're depressed, they're discouraged, they're frustrated because Haggai and Zechariah had spoken of the coming Messiah as if he was coming right now. They'd come back from exile and they were saying, "Hey, everything's great because because the Messiah is going to come," and he hadn't done it yet. And now. You know, they're living their lives and they're going through all this stuff and Messiah hadn't come. So they're they're whining about the fact that they're having to go through this. Well, it's the exact same thing. We, 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 we've been hearing it all of our lives and we think, well, it, it's just not going to happen. But that was the point. You're exactly right. We need to live our life with a sense of urgency as if it could happen today, understanding it might not happen for another 2,000 years. All right. Our caftum, right? Uh, you mentioned that we should have the joy of a cow that is, or a little calf that's turned out into pasture. Yeah, calf-likeness. 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 Sorry. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember growing up, you know, we, we didn't live on a big farm, but but we lived out in the country and we had uh, huge gardens and we had farm animals and and we would always dad would always get a calf and 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 we would raise that thing up uh, all of you sensitive folks close your ears we would raise it up to slaughter it to 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 eat that was our plan but we'd get a calf and we'd get him and and there'd be times when we'd have to put him in the stall for whatever reason whether bad or or whatever it was but you'd open that gate and that thing would come out of there jumping and running just as happy as it could be. The, the word that, um, that uh, some of the old translators used was gambol, G-A-M-B-O-L. And, and it's, it's a picture word where they're just jumping and, and, and gamboling around, you know. That's the idea. I know you young guys probably don't see that. But anyway, um, you know, that that's and that's the joy that fills our heart when when we have the hope of Jesus. Yeah, that's what I keep thinking about. Just the idea of that, you know, you mentioned there are people that, you know, we, we don't want to talk about this or, or when they hear it, the idea that that Christ is going to return and there will be a day of judgment fills them with fear. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a that's a pretty good litmus test. You need to be looking at your life. And if the idea that you're going to stand in front of Jesus fills you with fear, then maybe you need to get right with God. Maybe that's, you know, the Holy Spirit convicting you of the fact that you are not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, now, are we all, are there things in all of our lives that we're going to be embarrassed when we stand in front of the Holy God? Yes. Yeah. I mean, because all of us have done things that we wish we had not done. Uh, and we're not claiming that you're ever going to be perfect um, until we're standing with Christ. But when you have that relationship with a holy God who is our gracious Savior, you know, I think that that's where that idea of the joy can come in. Mm-hmm. Because even though we know that we don't deserve salvation— we know we have received it from him, and that should bring us joy. Uh, gamble? Gamble. 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 Yeah. Not gamble, but gamble. <laughs> <laughs> have, you guys, have you guys ever had a toothache? You ever had a toothache? Oh, yeah. I, I was 20-something years old. Sonia and I hadn't been married long, and I broke a jaw tooth. And we didn't have insurance. We didn't have money. 
We were living on love. Let me tell you, we were living on love. And that was just about it. Okay. And so I had this, this tooth and it became infected. And I'm telling you that the pain was excruciating. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. It was terrible. And finally, I scraped up enough money to go to the the, the dentist at the mall. This is how desperate I was. <laughs> a walk-in dentist at the mall and said, you got to pull this tooth. All right. And he said, well, we'll, well, let's try to save it. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm a college student. I'm married. I got no money. We got to pull this tooth. He said, you're right. We got to pull this tooth. So I get in there, I lay back in the chair, and he he, he injects the, the Novocaine in. And I'm going to tell you, in about five minutes, the pain was gone. I was happy. I was rejoicing. I was celebrating because that pain had been terrible. Listen. This is what Jesus teaches us about forgiveness. We're, we're, we're in bondage to our sin. We're burdened down. We're weighed down. And when we come into that relationship with him, he washes us clean, and it's gone. The, the sin is gone. The condemnation is gone. The guilt is gone. We are set free. That's, that's what happens, the joy that is there. The picture of Mary. When, uh, who was the prostitute that that uh, Jesus uh, spoke to and 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 healed and forgave and and she was pouring out the 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 oil on his feet anointing his head and he says to whom much is given that's that are yeah to those who are forgiven much they love much that's the idea there the joy that that comes because of all of that that has been taken away from us making an, another 90s reference because yes i do remember the 90s and uh however i was a, a kid in the 90s and so the, one of the big things for us was beanie babies i don't know why like i don't know who started it um but but my mom bought into it that one day beanie babies were going to pay for my college right like like, like you get the the, the rare beanie babies, you keep them in the package, you keep the tag on them, keep them in mint condition, all this stuff. Was that, it was kind of the multi-level marketing before we had social media. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was just a, a, a big <laughs> plushy pyramid scheme. Um, and, and so, so beanie babies were everywhere. Everybody was collecting beanie babies and um, hoping that one day it was going to be, be worth something. And so, but as a kid, right. I mean, being, you know, five, six, seven years old, you don't care anything about the packaging of, of, of the toy. You just want to take it out and play with it. It's just like, you know, I'm, I'm sure in y'all's generation when, when Star Wars was, was still new, um, you know, you wanted to play with the toys. And now all of a sudden people in the 90s are, are looking at a picture of, of Luke Skywalker in a box and, and sweating because they, they want it for their collection, right? And so, but, so we couldn't play with the Beanie Babies. We couldn't, we couldn't mess with them because we had to keep them in pristine condition because we didn't want to miss out on this idea of, well, what if one day they are going to be worth something? And, you know, you could have gone to college, but you wanted to play with the elephant. So there you go. Now you're going to trade school, right? Well, almost in a sense, this is kind of a way that at least people in my generation I've seen kind of have this view of, of heaven where, we're afraid. We, we don't really want to look forward to this, this coming promise of an eternity with God because we are so worried about what we're going to miss out on now. Yeah. Um, I remember being completely just uprooted the first time I ever heard somebody 
talking about like a true biblical view of heaven. I think it was David Platt during one of his secret churches and he was talking about like heaven and the end of times and stuff like that. Like what heaven is going to be like and and just kind of faced with those those thoughts that that I've had and you know especially especially just being honest as a as a high schooler and as a college student the last thing you want is to to get all the way through school and as soon as you graduate you're getting ready to get married and the trumpet blows and and there you go and you wasted your whole life in school you know you're like I I've got all of these things to to look forward to. And now I'm never going to get to experience them because I've got to go to heaven. Yep. Like, and we, we almost look yep. at it as some kind of burden because we're afraid we're going to miss out on something here. We've got this laundry list of things that we want to do on earth before, before the trumpet blows, before yeah. we get there without realizing that heaven isn't a burden. The end of times isn't a burden. Everything that we're living for right now we're not living for ourselves. We're not living for the things that we're doing, for the, the the experiences that we can have now. We are living in in a way that is that is getting ready to be there for all of eternity. Yeah, I think you look at like false preachers, and they're they're one of the most pervasive messages right now is that you can live your best life now, and that. Oh, you can, you can be the most fulfilled. You can have this great, but yeah, like you're saying, yeah, the more you get to understand what it's like to worship God, then the more you realize that heaven is going to be beyond anything we can imagine. Um, You know, I think that's one reason why all of those heaven tourism books bother me so much is because they all portray heaven as this like, cosmic, you know, family reunion where you're just going to sit around like seeing all these people and that there's not a lot of God in them, you know, but the idea that we're going to be with God, like not around the corner, seeing a glow off of the back of God or any of these things that we see, even like, we can't even imagine that when we read the old Testament and we see these examples of like, well, Moses is glowing because he's near Mm. seeing God. Like we're going to be standing in front of him. And I, I, I'm right there with you, Zach. When I was younger, the number of times I was like, you know, I kind of got this checklist. I want to be a parent. I want to be a husband. I want all these things. And we think that somehow we're going to miss out if if Christ came back tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, you know, growing up, my, my thought was always, I don't want to sit around on a cloud strumming a harp <laughs> for eternity. You know, mm-hmm. that was the picture that was always painted. And and heaven is going to be so much more than that. And and we just have to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, going back to our cow reference, it's the idea that if when you opened the gate, the cow never came out of the stall because it was just so content standing there in a tiny little box looking at the walls and missing what's so great behind us. Um, you know, I, I think there are people who literally – know that they're not Christians, feel convicted about it, and then have this idea of like, well, when I get older, I'm going to do that because I don't want to miss out on the fun or whatever it is. But they're ignoring the fact that right now, the most fulfilled they can be in life is to be a follower of Christ, preparing for the day that they're going to stand before him um, and realizing that that's where we're going to find our joy. That's where we're going to find our happiness. Um, You know, that... Trials are still going to come, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 
Jesus promised it. We're going to, I'm sure we'll talk more about it in the next few weeks, but these things are still going to happen. The difference is that we have the assurance of worshiping the Holy God and knowing that he's going to win. You know, you know one, of the, one of the things that we, we need to realize as believers is what the Bible teaches. And that is that this world is not our home. <clears throat> I'll never forget when I got to go to Israel. Uh, it was a joyous experience for me. And I, I love being in Israel. would go back in a heartbeat if, you know, the Lord opened the door for me to go back there. <clears throat> but I never felt at home there. We, uh, we got to go into Jordan. And when we were crossing the border, the uh, tour guide came on the bus and he said, uh, I have to have all of your passports. Give me your passport. Well, when will we get it back? When, you, when we leave Jordan in two days, we'll give you your passport back. Like I tell you, you know, one of the things they teach you when you go out of country is you hold on to that passport for dear life. And I was extremely uncomfortable giving up that passport, but I didn't have a choice. <clears throat> if I was going into Jordan, I had to give them the passport. And being in Jordan was the people were nice, they were friendly, but I didn't feel at home there. That's the way we ought to be in this world we ought, to, we ought to feel so uncomfortable in this world because we've had to give up our passport and we're, we're concerned about that because we don't belong here as believers. Our home is heaven. And, and so the, the, the joys of this world, and that's what Paul tried to tell us, they're nothing, nothing compared to what awaits us. And if we could wrap our minds around that, then uh, we'd have no hesitation. We'd all be praying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Uh, but that's that's the truth that we need to grasp. Amen. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good stopping place for today. Let's uh, grab our, <clears throat> our. Well, I don't know, brother Ben. Do you have a? No, no, I don't have a question. This, okay, this, we'll let, this time we're gonna have to go from the box. Yeah. It's gotta go old school. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I think last week was old school. Yeah. True. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we're the monkeys. Now we're picking between which beanie baby we're gonna be. Yeah. Is it? Uh, so. Um, Okay. Would you rather eat a scroll, which for those of you unaware of what a scroll is, I guess it gives you some clarification. A scroll is a piece of rough paper with writing on it. So would you rather eat a scroll, a rough piece of paper with writing on it, or drink vinegar? How much vinegar? See, that's the trick. I don't know. How big of a scroll? Mm. (laughs) Well, that's a tough one. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't say you can't have something to drink with it, so I'm going scroll. <laughs> okay. I mean, it'd be like one of those, it'd be like the gross Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Dip that bad boy in something <laughs> and shove it down. And, and you remember the prophet who had to eat the scroll? He said it was sweet as honey in his mouth. See, there you go. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the scroll. Yeah, I, I, honey I, scrolls. I'm going honey scroll on that one too. Yeah. I, I guess we'll be uh, we'll, we'll all be together on that one because because uh, I'm I'm not about to to down some vinegar. So I'll I, I would take flavorless over too much flavor. Yeah, I don't even like uh, North Carolina barbecue with vinegar barbecue sauce. So yeah. if that you know that tells you how much. Well, all right. Well, again, I think we've covered everything from Beanie Babies to Y2K to Happy Cows and uh, vinegar. 
based barbecue sauce. Uh, <laughs> we don't even have to ask what we're going to talk about next week because apparently we're going to start back over at the beginning of Malachi. That's right. We are going to, and, and this is the, the thing about it, uh, as we start from the beginning uh, in this message of hope, we're going to talk about the love of God. All right. Well, we'll see you again next week. Hey, did you know that the Norwegian Navy has barcodes on the side of their ships? No. You know why? No. That way when they return to port, they can Scandinavian. (laughs) That's so bad. That's good. (laughs)